morning, everyone. Uh, I just want to thank Brian for how he has led us this morning and how he's really helped us to, to think about what we are going to look at in a moment or two. Last week, uh, we considered the first contender for the original Christmas number one, uh, a song called The Magnificat, sung by a young girl called Mary. This morning, we come to the second contender, uh, a song called Benedictus, sung this time by an old man called Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest, and he was married. His wife's name was Elizabeth. And the Bible tells us that Zechariah was righteous and blameless, so he was an impressive character. But he was also childless, although not by choice. And so this was an issue that he and his wife were really praying about. And one day, he heads off to work, as usual, and he discovers that he has been chosen for this really special task, that he's got to enter a specific part of the temple and offer incense. And he's got to do it all by himself. And so everybody else must stay outside and pray. And so while Zechariah is in the most holy place, an angel appears. And understandably, Zechariah is scared out of his wits. He's terrified. But the angel has got something incredible to share with him. He says, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. And you're going to have a son. And he's going to be called John. And he's going to be great. And he's going to do some amazing things. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And he must be teetotal. And so Zechariah then asks a question. Well, how can I be sure of this? Which, as it turns out, was not a clever question to ask. This is all in Luke chapter 1. And at this stage of the conversation, the angel then decides to introduce himself as Gabriel. And he then proceeds to make this rather life-altering announcement to the priest. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. And so Zechariah begins an involuntary vow of silence that would last for nine months. And as Brian has already led us in our thinking, can you imagine what that must have been like? I remember quite a few years ago, I attempted a 24-hour sponsored silence for Tear Fund. And it was so difficult. Zechariah engaged in a six and a half thousand hour enforced silence. You see, it seems that taking God at his word is a rather important principle. Last Sunday night, we mentioned the fact that unlike Zechariah, Mary believed what she was told. And so Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed is she, as she addresses Mary, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And when you think about it, Mary's challenge to believe was far greater than Zechariah's. I mean, a child born to aging parents is surely not as big a deal as the likelihood of a child born to a virgin. 
Which of those two had more faith? Mary or Zechariah? Or is it a case that the older you become, the more cynical you get? That whenever you're young, you just take God at his word. As you grow up, and as you enter into this world with all its confusion and all its doubt, you start becoming rather cynical. Which maybe is why 30 years later, Jesus would say, do you know, unless you change and become like little kids, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So Zechariah was righteous, and Zechariah was blameless, but he wasn't perfect. God spoke. Zechariah queried it. He was left speechless. So what has God said? Or what is God saying to you at the moment that you're struggling to believe? That you're loved? That you are special? That you actually are a work of art? As Ephesians 2.10 describes you? That God is real? That God is in control of your life? You know, you hear it, but you don't believe that. That God is in control of this world? And actually, as you read and as you listen, you question that? Do you actually believe that Jesus will, like really, come back again someday? And although God has said all these things and he said so much more, you like Zechariah are maybe in that place where you're saying, yeah, but how can I be sure God? Last November, uh, whenever I was here, I spoke about Doubting Thomas. And you know, you could probably assign that title to Zechariah. In fact, even more so, because Thomas didn't have Gabriel turning up and telling him what to believe. But Zechariah did. But in both cases, after a period, after a season of struggling and doubt, they broke through. Both of them did. And Thomas reached that place in his life where he was able to declare, My Lord and my God. And Zechariah, well, let the story continue. Everyone outside the temple is is now wondering, well, what has happened to Zechariah? And when he finally comes out, he can't tell them. And so he tries to communicate. This is all in there. He tries to communicate using a form of sign language, which must have been very frustrating and quite interesting to watch. And everybody's thinking, hey, look, Zechariah wants to place your ads. And I want you to jump forward nine months in the story. And Elizabeth gives birth and naturally everyone is absolutely delighted for this couple because they have been barren. And when the baby boy is eight days old, it's time for him to be circumcised in keeping with the ancient covenant between God and Abraham, Genesis 22. And this is also the moment whenever the little boy would be named. And so all the neighbours are in and all the relatives are there and everybody assumes that the little boy is going to be called Zechariah just after his dad. But Elizabeth says, no, he's going to be called John. And that makes no sense whatsoever because everyone says, listen, there's there's not a John in your entire family. 
And so they turned to Zechariah, and the Bible actually says that they motioned to him to say, what do you want to call him? And so Zechariah asks for a pen and a bit of paper, or at least the equivalent, and he writes down the name John. And all of a sudden he's able to speak again, and almost immediately he launches into not only one of the great bursts of praise of the Christmas story, but also of the entire Bible. Zechariah's season of struggling and doubt is over. And you know, I am sure there are some people here this morning and you're struggling to believe and you're wrestling with your faith at the moment. And maybe you've gone quiet and you've retreated internally, maybe even externally as well, but you've gone quiet. And in a sense, there's so much that I wish I could say and probably should say into that. But all I want to say this morning in the context of this morning is this. Can I encourage you to listen? Because that's what silence forces you to do. Listen to God. Engage with his word. Listen to others. Whatever you do, please do not disconnect yourself from others during a period of season or a season of struggling and doubt. And listen to your heart because it'll be restless until your heart finds its rest in God. Well, that's a little about the singer. So now we actually turn to the song. The title Benedictus is again Latin for the first words that were expressed by Zechariah, meaning praise be. Now please don't worry, I am going to read the Bible soon. Okay? Just in case people are going, he hasn't read the Bible yet. Okay? Get rid of him. Uh, This is a prophetic song according to Luke in verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. And what is happening here is really significant at so many levels. Because Zechariah has been silent for nine months, but now a prophetic voice is about to speak again. Which in some ways is a reflection of what had happened and was happening within Israel. You see, between the Old Testament and the New Testament there was what? Somebody help me. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament there was what? 400 years of silence. But now, as this first Christmas dawns, the prophetic voice is back. And this song breaks down into two sections. In part 1, verses 68 to 75, it seems that Zechariah lifts his eyes to heaven and he sings his heart out about God's fulfillment of his promises. All those prophecies from so many years ago are about to come true. They're about to come to pass. And then in part two of the song from verses 76 down to 79, he drops his eyes to his kid. And he gazes at his son and he sings about him. And he sings about the one whom his son will point to. And so what I want us to do is stand together and sing this song. Okay? Well, at least say it. So let's stand together. This is the Bible reading for those anxious And so what we're going to do is, uh, there's sort of a couple of lines at a time. I'll read the bits that are not bold. So I'll read the first. And I know it's not very clear, but just speak at some point, okay? God's word says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, Salvation from 
to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Please take your seats. And if you do have a Bible, if you could turn to those verses from Luke chapter 1. So let me break this down a little. In verses 68 and 79, Zechariah actually gives us three reasons to sing. Three reasons why he sang in the first place and three reasons why we should still be singing some 2,000 years later. God has visited, God has redeemed, and God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now please note it's all past tense. God has come or visited. God has redeemed. God has. And yet the Messiah hadn't even been born. So Zechariah has made this journey from how can I be sure about all this to being totally convinced. So it seems that nine months of silent reflection have been profoundly beneficial and faith inspiring. And just as an aside, silence is not something we tend to pursue. It's not something we're comfortable with. It's become a bit of an alien experience in our culture, in our context, to be silent. And yet, it is one of the key spiritual disciplines of the Christian faith. And in the new year, we're going to spend an entire Sunday evening looking at the value of silence and solitude. And so Zechariah sings, God has visited, or at least in the translation that we read together, God has come. You see, God didn't stay at a distance. God didn't remain aloof or removed from our world. Instead, God stepped into it literally. The word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Jesus, the God-man, did become one of us. Something we're going to look at at the end of the carol service next Sunday night. And that is what Christmas is all about. That is why we will sing, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And because he did, everything changed and everything is different. But he hasn't just visited. Zechariah goes on to sing, God has redeemed his people. In other words, he's brought them back to himself at a great cost. And this morning as part of our service. We have remembered the extreme price that God paid in order to buy us back. These symbols of significance scream at us, or at least they should scream at us, about the cost that was involved in rescuing us. The price that God was willing to pay so that we, re- we could reconnect with him. And the amazing relationship that so many of us have the pleasure to enjoy is only possible because 2,000 years ago, God visited. 
God redeemed us via the death, life and resurrection of his son. And then the third reason to keep singing is that he's raised up a horn of salvation for us. And it goes on to say, in the house of his servant David. And that's, I, I realize that's not a phrase we can relate to. Like, like what, raised up for us a horn. That's not something that immediately connects. But it is actually a picture of strength and of victory in battle. Because it was the strong horns of an ox, for example, that enabled it to defeat its enemies. And what Zechariah was just doing here is that he was rejoicing that a descendant of David was coming, which was in line with the Old Testament prophetic voice, who would be a mighty saviour, a strong deliverer, who would defeat his enemies. And so Zechariah sings, and his heart, like Mary's, bursts with praise to a promise-fulfilling God. All that you've said, God, has come true, is coming true. And I'm going to sing about it. And I'm not going to just sing about it this first Christmas. I'm going to keep singing about it. And that is what we should be still doing. We should still be singing about a God who has visited. A God who has redeemed. A God who has raised up a mighty saviour to rescue us. To reconnect us. To reacquaint us with our Father. And I don't know this morning whether your heart sings. Or whether you've just gone quiet. And actually the fact that God came. And that God redeemed. And that God raised up a mighty saviour to rescue you from your enemies. Whether that's just not something that stirs anything within you. And the song then continues. But when you come to verse 74 and 75, you notice that there's a difference. Because Zechariah realizes that he and we must live in response to all that God has done and to all that God is going to do. And so he acknowledges our responsibility in this. And he says that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And I know it's a cliche, and I don't particularly like cliches, I don't tend to do cliches, but you know something? We have been saved to serve. We receive so much. We receive forgiveness, deliverance, eternal life, hope, but never lose sight of the reality and the fact that we have been called to serve. We have been called to participate in what God is doing. We don't just take it all, although in some incredible ways we get it all. But we don't just take it all, and as a reflection of our worship, we surrender. And how are we to serve? Zechariah sings, we're to serve in holiness and righteousness. In other words, there is to be an ethical beauty about your life. There's to be something ethically beautiful about the way you conduct yourself. We are to live right in the eyes of God. We are to live a better way than the life that is being expressed around us. Casting crowns, sing these words. Let my life song sing to you. Do you know all that I do? Every choice that I make, every decision I take, every word I speak, every attitude I hold, every action I perform should be a song to God. As I live to serve and as I serve to live. And Zechariah had grasped this balance. We take in, we give out. 
And then we come to section 2 of the song, verses 76 to 79. And he now drops his gaze, in a sense, from heaven. And he now stares at this little eight-day-old boy. And he just sings. And he sings of this boy, John's role in this amazing reality. And he says, you, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, which is an incredible title to ascribe to John. A title that would be later ascribed to Jesus himself. But he addresses John, he says, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and you will prepare the way for him. And you will give knowledge of his salvation to people in the forgiveness of their sins. What a task lies before this kid. But why is this all happening? Why all of this? Well, verse 78 gives us a clue. Because Zechariah sings, because of the tender mercy of our God. Do you know the mercy if nothing, the mercy of our God is something to sing about? We don't deserve to be rescued, to be forgiven. We don't deserve to be delivered. And yet God has stepped into our mess and He's got involved. And the real meaning behind tender mercy is passionate empathy. Something that impacts you deep down. In other words, God was so affected by our need of a saviour that it churned him up inside. And so an ancient hymn writer, Isaac Watts, wrote these rather provocative lyrics. His heart was filled with tenderness. His bowels yearned with love. God was churned up inside because of your and my situation. And so that's why he came, that's why he visited, that's why he stepped down. Because of the tender mercy of God. And then finally, in the song, Zechariah sings of three things that Jesus would bring. And three things that Jesus continues to bring. And in a sense, here are the three real gifts of Christmas. Not gold, frankincense and myrrh, but light, life and peace. Light in darkness, life in the face of death, peace in the midst of turmoil and confusion. And Jesus, it says there in those words, is the dawn from on high. He is the sunrise. Or if you have a King James version of the Bible, it describes Jesus as the day spring. A word that implies a new beginning, a new start. Jesus, in other words, is that life-giving star that was promised years earlier. And so Isaiah writes that prophecy years before. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of darkness, on them a light has shined. This is the light that now shines, that has stepped down. And in the Near East, a caravan of people would have regularly travelled through the desert at night often feeling lost and feeling fearful and feeling disillusioned but at the moment of sunrise they would have rediscovered sight rediscovered direction and rediscovered hope and in a sense there is a caravan of humanity of which we're all part and it's traveling through our world which sometimes i don't know about you but sometimes it just feels like we're living in a vast desert and it seems like many people are in the dark and many people are unsure of the future many people are afraid and many people are disheartened and yet jesus the day spring the light of the world has stepped down into darkness so that none of us need to continue to exist in spiritual darkness trying to find meaning and satisfaction 
outside the CMS headquarters in England stands this incredible sculpture. And I'm going to say more about it tonight because it's going to hopefully help frame our worship tonight. But written all over this sculpture are the words light of the world in 60 different languages. Because the light of the world stepped down into darkness and opened my eyes and many of your eyes so that we could see. And that should give us cause to sing. And then secondly, Jesus brings life. Because Zacharias sings about those, if you notice there, who sit in the shadow of death. And you know, we all do. Because statistically, one out of one of us is going to die. At least those are the figures the last time I checked. But Jesus came to bring life. And as he himself would later confirm, life in all its fullness, not only here and now, but ultimately life beyond the grave, forever with him. Again, another cause to sing. And then finally, Zechariah sings how Jesus would visit us to guide our feet into the way of peace. And peace, as we all know, seems to be a missing ingredient in our world. And next Sunday morning, the song we will look at picks up this theme. And we are, hopefully next Sunday morning, going to ask some hard questions about the reality or other ways of peace in our world. Because peace seems elusive at a national and an international level. But even peace at a personal level appears out of reach for so many people. So many in our communities live in fear, in anxiety, with turmoil and confusion. And Jesus, this song says, came to walk us down a different route. So that we could experience a peace with God, a peace with others, and a deep inner peace with ourselves that defies logic. And so this Christmas, I hope and I pray that each of us discovers those three amazing gifts brought to us and still offered to us by Jesus. Heal the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Heal the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings. And so as I finished last Sunday morning with a question, could this be, could Benedictus be a Christmas number one? Possibly. But as we leave here in a few moments, let's... Take God at his word. Avoid cynicism. Reflect quietly during a season of struggle and doubt. Sing loudly because God has visited, redeemed and raised up a mighty saviour. Serve God in holiness and righteousness. Thank him for his mercy. And this Christmas receive light and life and peace.